today on Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse. To live according to the Spirit means just that, means to be ruled, to be determined by His awakening, regenerating, illuminating presence characterized by the fact that He dwells in us through the power of the Holy Spirit. And again, greetings in Christ. Welcome to today's broadcast of Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse from Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. Hi there. Our time today will return us to Romans chapter 8, verse 5 specifically. Here's the question. What is your mind set on? And that is a question that should direct your lives. Usually, our mind is set on anything but Christ, and it's reflected in the way we live our lives. The challenge here in Romans is to set our minds on Christ. With more, here's Pastor Steve. So what's your mind set on? We started this little series last week. We we looked at a couple different aspects of it as far as introducing this text to our hearts. And I just want to read a section of this this morning, just two verses. Um, Verse 5 of Romans 8 said, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. Last week we introduced this little section of Scripture and we talked about the idea of of what do you desire. Uh, That word setting the mind there has to deal with what you dwell on, what a person's disposition is bent toward, what occupies the desires of your hearts. And it's really referring to what occupies a person's mind. And we looked at how last week your mindset really determines how you act. It motivates you and what you do, what you say, what you feel. It determines how you'll allow others to influence your life. It decides what you will choose as a source of knowledge. It affects your view of every experience you have. It shapes your value system. It dominates your private and public life. We talked about the idea that the more you become, the more you desire something, the more you become like that. Uh, What you love, you think about, and what you think about, you do, because what you think about is who you are. And we need to be reminded of that Um, Today, you know, Solomon said in Proverbs 23, verse 7, for as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. And I think it's very important that as Christians we, we understand not only what has been done for us through the sacrifice of Christ as we celebrate communion time today, but also who we are in Christ and what that means, how that plays itself out. Well, what does that say about us? All that information that we looked at last week, what does that say about the state of Christianity in the United States in which we find ourselves? If holiness is necessary, and it is, how do we account for all the unholiness by alleged Christian people in their churches? You read about it all the time. It suggests that there are are many who consider themselves Christian, even in the so-called evangelical churches today. But apparently, they're not. They may profess the right things. They may say the right things. They may lead 
acceptable lives, but they're not on the right path. They don't follow hard after holiness. They're not born again. And I think it's time in America that somehow we need to discern this fact and have a true revival in our churches. You know, revival, if you study revival in history, it always has basically three characteristics. First, the first stage is an awakening. You've heard of the Great Awakening, right? Or wonderful American revivals under the preaching of the likes of Jonathan Edwards, William Tennant, George Whitfield. It was called the Great Awakening because it, it awoken the human heart. It awoke the human heart to the spiritual reality of its condition. But after an awakening, the second stage is revival itself, which meant the coming of spiritual life into these people who are professing Christ. See, we found out last week, it's not enough just to say, oh, Jesus is Lord. There's going to be people that stand before him, Matthew 7, and say, Lord, Lord, haven't we done this? Haven't we done that? And he's going to say, sorry, I don't even know who you are. Never knew you. So you have an awakening. You also have revival. And then the final phase of, of true revival and awakening is an impact on society. And you see that throughout history when you study revivals. I would say we live in a day and age where we need such a revival in our day and age. I mean, without God's direct intervention in our country, I don't know what's going to happen. We have to awaken people to the condition of their souls. And that means church people. That means religious people just as much as it means those who never would dare to walk in a church. And see, when we get to Romans 8, 5, and 6, he makes it very, very clear that, you know what, there's only two groups of people in this world. There's only two groups. And he points that out to us. And so he, we're getting to this section where Paul clearly says that there's only two groups of people with two different destinies. And I want to encourage you to make sure that you're on the destiny according to the Spirit, not the flesh. Now, when our text in Romans 8 talks about phrases like according to the flesh and according to the Spirit. It's basically talking about people who determine their, their behavior is determined by their spiritual condition. So this isn't talking about when he talks about those who live according to the flesh. He's not talking about Christian. He's talking about non-believers. Those who set their minds on the things of the flesh are those who are outside of Christ. Those who set their minds on the things of the Spirit are those who are believers, those who have been saved. And that's very important to understand because today in our church, because it's so steeped in sin, a lot of theologians say, well, you know, you can be a Christian and just live in an unholy way because, you know, Jesus is your Savior. He may not be your Lord, but He's your Savior. Have you ever heard that? That's a damning doctrine. That's a doctrine that's not found in the Scriptures. Jesus never taught that. Jesus never said to the woman at the well, okay, you know what? I'm not going to condemn you and go live however you want. He didn't, he didn't say that to her. He said, no, neither do I condemn you. Now go and what? Sin no more. See, when Christ comes into our life, beloved, there should be a transformation. There should be a change. And that change should, should be radical. I mean, if someone's dead, steeped in their sin, and they're transformed from that deadness into life, I don't know about you, but that would be a pretty radical change. And we have to remind ourselves that, that people who are living according to the flesh are dead spiritually. They're dead. So we don't need to go out there and give them a bunch of rules to live by. That's not going to help them. 
You know, there are churches that do that. Oh, you want to come to our church? Well, you got to do this, you got to do that, and you dress this way, you got to do that. But let's not dictate to someone who's not a Christian how they should live. Because they're, they're dead. They're dead in their trespasses and sin, just like we once were. And so the only thing that will move them from that deadness is life. That's how it is when we come to Christ. We're dead in our trespasses and sin. It shouldn't be just something that we add Jesus to our life or now we go to church once a week or now we carry a Bible around. No, we should see a radical transformation in every aspect of our life. And then you can say, wow, I've been saved. I've been born again. I'm a new person in Christ. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. See, there's not some third category where you kind of got your foot halfway in and halfway out. As a Christian, the Bible says that, you know what? Either you love God and hate the world, or you love the world and you hate God. It doesn't give us any other option. So the first point here in the outline is simply this. There are two and only two groups of people in the world. Those who are according to the flesh, and those who are according to the Spirit. That's what it says in Romans 8, 5. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. He's not writing about two kinds of Christians. He's writing about a Christian and a non-Christian. He's writing about someone who's been saved and someone who hasn't. Whenever you see the word in the flesh or according to the flesh. It's not referring to a believer. It's always referring to a non-believer. It describes the spiritual condition of unbelievers. They're characterized by what? Verse 6 says, those who live according uh, to the flesh basically are subject to death. But those who live according to the Spirit... Their lives are characterized in verse 6 by what? Life and peace, it says. See, the nature of each group determines their present behavior. Don't ever get that backwards. Don't think, well, your behavior determines which group you're in. No. That's what we like to think sometimes. But that's not the case. You know, there's a popular thing going around that there's kind of two, two tracks as a Christian that you can take once you get saved. The first track is kind of the discipleship track. You know, you're going to be a disciple of Christ. And under that plan, you have to give up everything to follow Christ. You have to deny yourself. You have to take up your cross daily. You have to suffer hardship and sacrifice and perhaps even martyrdom. You have to give Christ control of everything that you have, all your material assets. You may even be required to take the gospel to a foreign land or foreign culture where you'll live in difficult, maybe even dangerous circumstances. But you know what? If you take that track, the good thing is that when you get to heaven, your rewards will be great. But that discipleship track is only for the super committed, they say. The other track, I'll call it the cultural Christian track. And that's for the rest of us who just want to be ordinary believers. We don't want to have this radical stuff. See, under this plan, you can accept Jesus as your Savior to make sure that you'll go to heaven. But you can also pursue all your dreams and your passions and your your personal fulfillment in this life. You kind of get the the best of both worlds without needing to be gung-ho 
like all those on the discipleship track. You can enjoy fellowship in a good evangelical church, and yet you can still pursue the American dream at the same time. You know, just drop something in the offering plate when it passes. Pay your dues. Once in a while, you can even volunteer certain ministries to help out the church. Of course, when it doesn't conflict with your busy schedule. And don't be too hard on yourself about being obedient to what God tells you to do in His Word, the Bible. After all, we're all human. God is gracious. He understands your weaknesses. So just accept yourself and don't think that you have to be all out for Jesus. That's just for those fanatics on the discipleship track. But beloved, Jesus made it very clear. Mark 8 34 and 38, it says that he, as he summoned the crowd with his disciples, notice it's not just his disciples. He summoned the crowd with his disciples. This message was to everybody. And he said to them, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. I like that phrase there that he says, Whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation. That's us. That's the generation we live in. An adulterous and sinful generation. And it's time the church stopped being muffled and, and, and stifled and put to the side. And it's time we stood up and spoke the truth in love but spoke the truth in this adulterous and sinful generation. See, there's only two groups here, beloved. One that's saved, one that's not. One that's in the flesh, one that's in the spirit. One that's going to go on, well, they're both going on to eternal life. One that's going to go on to eternal life in heaven, and one that's going to go on to eternal life in hell. Secondly, these two groups are sharply distinguished by different mindsets. Say, well, how do you know what group? Paul describes the mindset of those who are according to the flesh as the things of the flesh. Look at what he says in verse 6. He says, the mindset is a mindset of death. Verse 7, they're hostile toward God. They're not subject to God's law. Verse 8, they're not pleasing to God. On the other hand, the mindset of those who are according to the Spirit, those who are saved, those who have been forgiven by the grace of work of Christ, is a life of life and peace, it says. And also, you could go on by implication and say that it's a friend of God, that it's subject to His law, that it's pleasing to God. See, to be according to the flesh means to live under the flesh, to make it your rule, to make it your master, to make it something you obey. And to live according to the Spirit means just that, means to be ruled, to be determined by His awakening 
regenerating, illuminating presence characterized by the fact that he dwells in us through the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's look at these two. The first one, those who live according to the flesh set their mind on the things of the flesh, it says there in verse 5. You know, the word flesh is not necessarily a bad word. It doesn't have to be a bad word. It always depends on the context in which flesh is used. Sarks in the Greek. It depends on how it's used. It may refer to our human bodies with no moral indicators at all. 2 Corinthians 10.3. Paul writes this, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. He's just saying, you know what? We walk in, in, in our bodies. We're in our bodies. There's nothing wrong with that. Or Galatians 2.20. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but what? Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, what's he say? In the flesh. Well, what's the context talking about? He says, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. So in that context, in 2.20, in the flesh, that word flesh just means, you know what, I'm in the body. Doesn't mean it's bad. It's all about context. Or over in Galatians chapter 4, verse 13, Paul writes, You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. That's the same word, sarks. It's, it's a fleshly ailment. He had something wrong with his body. So it could just refer to our body, our fleshly body, without meaning all the, the connotations of sin. Just kind of a neutral term. Well, secondly, it also may refer to the weakness of human life as being something that's temporary. First uh, Peter 2.24 says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that he might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds we've been healed. So in that text, it's just kind of referring to the idea that, 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 that Jesus' body on the, 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 the tree, it was, it was, you know, his body was weak at that point. He gave it up. Or over in Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 to 21, it may mean this. It may refer to the sinfulness of human nature after the fall. That's what Paul refers to there in Galatians chapter 5. Verse 16, he says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify, what? The desires of the flesh. Well, in that text, what's he talking about? He's talking about sin. For the desires of the flesh, he says, are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you're led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And then he says, if you're interested, now the works of the flesh are the evident. It's something that can be clearly seen. What are they? Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like that. Why do you say that? Because you might look at that list and go, oh, my sin's not listed there. I guess I'm okay. You know, things like that. He doesn't leave anybody off the hook. And he says, I warn you as I warned you before, that those who do such things or practice such things, is a better rendering there, will not inherit the kingdom of God. So he covers the whole gamut. 
Paul makes it clear that according to the flesh has to do with our mindset, how we think. Martin Lloyd-Jones writes this in one of his commentaries. He says, the term includes not only thought and understanding, it includes affections, emotions, desires, and the objects of pursuit. See, non-Christians set their minds on the things of the flesh. It doesn't mean that they just occasionally do it. It means that's all they know. They're continually driven by the flesh. And as I referred to 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 and 16, the beloved apostle writes this, Do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life, is not from the Father, but it is from the world. So loving the world or setting one's mind on the the things of the flesh means to live for the temporary things in life. Something that the world values and basically disregard God and disregard all of eternity. So that's those who live according to the flesh. Look at the second group, those who live set their mind on the spirit. The things of the spirit are the truths that are revealed in God's Word. That's what that means when it talks about the things of the Spirit. It's talking about God's Word. It's talking about who He is. It's talking about who we are in Christ. It's talking about that wonderful, great salvation that Christ provided for us through His work on the cross. And it talks about how we should live in light of our salvation. Paul writes of this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6. He says, Yet among the mature we do not impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and a hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages of glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him. So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Well, thank you for spending time with us here today on Graceful Truth, the ministry of Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. It's our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal His grace to your hearts through the teaching of His Word each week. And we trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area. If not, we'd love to have you come and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m., We offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children up to grade five. And if you would like to encourage us here at Graceful Truth, please give us a call at Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. 
Our phone number is 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. We meet at 2225 Euclid Avenue here in Redwood City. Directions are on our website, gracefultruth.org, or again, simply call 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. And again, we'd love to have you join us for worship. Simply call for directions or go to our website, gracefultruth.org. While you're at our website, make sure to check out the resource materials available from us here at Graceful Truth, including past programs of Graceful Truth that you can download for free. Gracefultruth.org is where to go. And while you're at our website, don't forget to download our mobile app, new and improved and ready to use, whether you're securely donating online or taking advantage of the podcasts on your mobile phone, simply go to iTunes or Google Play and look for Grace Bible Church Redwood City dash CA or stop by our website, gracefultruth.org and follow the prompts. If you're writing to us, our address is 2225 Euclid Avenue. That's 2225 Euclid Avenue. We're here in Redwood City. The zip code is 94061. And again, our phone number is 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. We thank you for spending time with us today and trust we'll see you next week at this same time for another broadcast of Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse.